Amen. Uh, today we're going to talk about um, the uh, uh, persecuted church, but we're going to talk about the voice of the martyrs ministry uh, because it's, it is central. It's kind of like the central tie between all of the things that we've been studying recently. Uh, uh, the information that we have about persecuted believers in different parts of the world and uh, all of the things that we're praying about to give us a, a fresh perspective on what's <clears throat> what's necessary and uh, I really want to uh, make us of one mind and one heart when it comes to reaching out um, in prayer for different believers in different parts of the world that are persecuted and aren't receiving um, uh, the freedom that God has ordained for them also to encourage us to pray for all believers uh, because it's it's slowly creeping in on us and I think if we can sow seeds into the freedom and the liberation of other persecuted believers it'll rebound back to us and speak our freedom and our liberty because God needs a free people in this earth to do his will and so um, I was just studying about it, and I've been reading some of the writings of uh, uh, Richard Wormbrand, W-U-R-M-B-R-A-N-D. Uh, he's a Romanian Christian. He was a Jew, uh, was converted, and uh, he was the one who started the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, so we'll be reading some of his writings. The um, uh, book that I've been reading from Between Two Tigers is actually written by the gentleman who is in charge of the American uh, branch of the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. So all of these tie together. It's a, a pretty uh, um, powerful organization, very successful in helping uh, persecuted believers, supplying uh, uh, Bibles and uh, other items that they need. Uh, all of these things they make available in this gentleman, which Richard Wormbrand uh, began the organization. So I'm going to read you his bio uh, and, and give you an understanding of his testimony. Richard, Richard Wormbrand, March 27, 1909 to February 17, 2001, was a Romanian Christian minister and of Jewish descent. In 1958, having become a Christian 10 years ago, dared to publicly say that communism and Christianity were not compatible, that he experienced imprisonment and torture uh, by the then communist regime of Romania for his beliefs. After serving five years from 1959 to 64 of a second prison sentence, he was ransomed for $10,000. His colleagues in Romania urged him to leave the country and work for religious freedom from a location less personally dangerous. After spending time in Norway and England, he and his wife Sabina, who had been in prison, emigrated to America and dedicated the rest of their lives to publicizing and helping Christians who are persecuted for their beliefs. He wrote more than 18 books, the most widely known being Tortured for Christ. Variations of his works have been translated into more than 60 languages. He founded the international organization Voice of the Martyrs, which continues to aid Christians around the world uh, who are persecuted for their faith. Wormbrand was the youngest of four boys. He was born in 1909 in Bucharest in a Jewish family. He lived with his family in Istanbul for a short while. His father died when he was nine, and the Wormbrands returned to Romania when he was 15. 
As an adolescent, he was sent to study Marxism in Moscow, but returned clandestinely the following year. Pursued by the secret police, he was re- arrested and held in Doftana prison. When returning to his mother country, Wormbrand was already an important uh, Comintern agent, leader, and coordinator directly paid from Moscow. Like other Romanian communists, he was arrested several times, then sentenced and released again. He married Sabina Oster in 1936. He and his wife uh, converted to Christianity in 1938 due to the witness of Christian Wolfkees, a Romanian Christian carpenter. They joined the Anglican Church ministry among Jewish people. He was then ordained twice, first as an Anglican and then after World War II as a Lutheran minister. In 1944, when the Soviet Union occupied Romania as the first step to establishing a communist regime, Wormbrand began a ministry to his Romanian countrymen and to Red Army soldiers. When the government attempted to control churches, he immediately began an underground ministry to his people. Richard is remembered for his courage in standing up in a gathering of church leaders and denouncing government control of the churches. He was arrested on February 28th. Uh, 29th 1948 while on his way to church services he passed through the penal facilities in several cities and ultimately Jaliva prison spent three years in solitary confinement this confinement was in a cell 12 feet underground with no lights or windows there was no sound because even the guards wore felt shoes on their felt wore felt on their soles of their shoes He later recounted that he maintained his sanity by sleeping during the day, staying awake at night, and exercising his mind and soul by composing and then delivering a sermon each night. Due to his extraordinary memory, he was able to recall more than 350 of those, a selection of which he included in his book, With God in Solitary Confinement, which was first published in 1969. During part of this time, he communicated with other inmates by tapping out Morse code on the wall. In this way, he continued to be sunlight to fellow inmates rather than dwell on the lack of physical light. He was released from his first imprisonment in 1956 after eight and a half years. Although he was warned not to preach, he resumed his work in the underground church. He was arrested again in 1959 and sentenced to 25 years. During his imprisonment, he was beaten and tortured. Psychological torture included incessant broadcasting of phrases denouncing Christianity and praising communism. His body bore the scars of physical torture for the rest of his life. For example, he later recounted having the soles of his feet beaten until the flesh was torn off, then the next day beaten again to the bone. This prolific writer said there were not words to describe that pain. During his first imprisonment, Wormbrand supporters were unable to get information about him. Later, they found out that a false name had been used in prison records so that no one could trace his whereabouts. Secret police visited Sabina, his wife, and, and posed and, and released fellow and posed as released fellow prisoners. They claimed to have attended Richard's funeral in prison. During his second imprisonment, his wife Sabina was given official news of Richard's death, which she did not believe. Sabina herself had been arrested in 1950 and spent three years in penal labor on a canal. Sabina's autobiographical account of this time is titled The Pastor's Wife. 
Their only son, Mihai, was then a young adult, was expelled from college-level studies at three institutions because his father was a political prisoner. An attempt to obtain permission to emigrate to Norway to avoid compulsory service in the communist army was unsuccessful. Eventually, Wormbrand was a recipient of amnesty in 1964, concerned with the possibility that Wormbrand would be forced to undergo further imprisonment. The Norwegian Mission to the Jews and the Hebrew Christian Alliance negotiated with communist authorities for his release from Romania for $7,000, though the going rate for political prisoners was 1900 he was convinced by underground church leaders to leave and become a voice for the persecuted church. He devoted the rest of his life to this effort despite warnings and death threats. So um, that's pretty much his story. The rest of it is, is uh, you know, has to do with his writing books and, and being the, uh, the founder of the voice of the martyrs. I'm going to read you a um, uh, an excerpt from the beginning of his book, Tortured for Christ, The Martyr. Richard Wormbrand said, Tortured for Christ has no literary value. It was written in only three days shortly after my release from prison, but it was written with pen and tears. And for some reason, God has chosen to bless this writing and use it for his purpose. Over the years, Tortured for Christ has been translated into 65 languages and millions of copies have been distributed throughout the world. We are continually amazed at how this testimony has been used of God to strengthen his body. We have discovered that in this body, victory, courage, resilience, and tenacity know no borders, no skin color, no nationality, but are given equally to all by the Holy Spirit. It is very curious that Chinese pastors, American housewives, and Arab taxi drivers can all be inspired and encouraged by a book by a Romanian Jew. Vietnamese house church uh, leaders once shared with me how they prepared their Christian flock to survive and grow under the expected communist takeover of South Vietnam in the 1970s. They distributed the Vietnamese translation of Tortured for Christ as a survival guidebook, a testimony of an overcoming faith in incredibly difficult circumstances. We, all re we also received letters from many who have entered a personal relationship with Jesus Christ from reading this book, realizing that the love of Christ is powerful is a powerful reality. In this sense, these pages do not constitute a political attack, but present a martyr's gospel witness. Many today believe that a martyr is simply someone who dies for his faith. Unfortunately, by this definition, we have lost the true significance and depth of martyrdom. St. Augustine once stated, the cause, not the suffering, makes a genuine martyr. In his play, Murder in the Cathedral, T.S. Eliot describes a martyr as one who has become an instrument of God, who has lost his will in the will of God, not lost it, but found it, for he has found freedom in submission to God. The martyr no longer desires anything for himself, not even the glory of martyrdom. According to the original Greek, martyr means witness. The writer of Hebrews states that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, martyrs, in Hebrews 12.1. And Jesus instructs us in Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses, or martyrs, to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
the New Testament martyr not only personally testified to the truth and power of Jesus Christ, but was instructed to take that witness to others regardless of the cost. Later in the book of Acts, we read about the stoning of Stephen, making him the first to pay the ultimate price for that witness. It is at this time that the word martyr took on a much stronger meaning as one who not only is a witness, but one who is willing to give his life or to be martyred for that cause. The very truth to which we bear witness comes at a great cost. It can cost us our reputation, popularity, and prestige. It may even cost us our families, friends, or our lives. But the message of our witness is so powerful that we are exhorted to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us in order to run with endurance the race that God has set before us in our life. The message of Christ's witness is also not confined to physical borders or limitations. It transcends any label <clears throat> or box we may deem appropriate. Martyrdom is not depressing, but necessary for movement into a prayerful understanding of, of global Christian reality. Necessary in order to receive that which has been granted on behalf of Christ to suffer for his sake, Philippians 1.29. The faith of these witnesses or martyrs cannot be controlled or killed. It can only plant seeds to further God's kingdom beyond Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, Acts 1.8 as their testimonies bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. Christ said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16:18. It is through this understanding that I have come to know Pastor Richard Wormbrand as one whose life reflects that of a martyr, not because of death, but because he bears witness to the life of Christ and has under undergone sufferings to the point that death would have been preferred to life itself. Tortured for Christ not only reveals the facts surrounding a man who has suffered at the hands of a brutal communist regime, it reveals the faith and perseverance of a man totally committed to Christ and his desire to share the truth with others. It is this truth that comes alive through each page, transforming the thinking of Western Christians by revealing that throughout history and even today, Christians endure horrific sufferings and even die for their witness to the life and power of Jesus Christ. It is our prayer that this testimony lives on, that we may come to a deeper knowledge of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our duty on this earth, that we may come to understand the true aspects of the martyr's life, and if by God's will we would be willing to be that witness. Tom White, USA Director, Voice of the Martyrs. So all of these uh, chapters of Voice of the Martyrs are, are self-sustaining. You know, there's like no international governing body, no international president, which I think is, is kind of nice because it allows those people in their area to do the work that they know that they're called to do and have the freedom to not be held back and, and bound by votes and, and elections and all that kind of thing. You know, it just is an easy flow to hear from God and do what God wants us to do in that realm. So hopefully you'll be able to um, uh, start to pick up some of the information uh, from this organization. They do have a website. They have a free newsletter that they can email to you. Uh, they also have a prayer app where you can get the prayer. You got the uh, website there, Pastor Shirley. It's vom.org or what is it, Voice of the Martyrs? 
com. Okay, all right. So it's voiceofthemartyrs.com. And just sign up for that free newsletter. And when you're praying your persecution prayer, if you're assigned that prayer on a regular basis, add their request to it. It's real simple to do, and their their requests are not lengthy or anything like that. But I just believe that persecution is not lessening. It's getting, it's increasing. And we have to face that and confront that. And the best place to confront it is in your prayer life because that's where your faith is strengthened. You can get praise reports and encouragement about progress of, of, you know, how your prayers are doing and that kind of thing because the enemy is getting very, very bold. He's fighting out in the open now. You know, he usually seduces and deceives and all that kind of stuff, but he's taken all the stops off of what what he's doing, and we have to take the stops off of what we're doing as well. We can't afford to be politically correct. We can't afford to be just in it for the blessings and and that kind of thing you know your blessing has to come within you know not so much without but within and understand that blessing is a a condition of your spiritual awareness you know it's it's a blessedness that that we walk in every day uh, that we don't have to be concerned with you know fear of natural things so we have a, a life in christ that that we enjoy it's fulfilling it's everything to us and we're not hindered by these outside influences so so i'm going to read a little bit more uh as i said between two tigers is written by tom white who is the <clears throat> u.s director of voice of the martyrs tom white uh made repeated trips over cuba dropping thousands of gospels and bible portions into the ocean currents and through the air corridor of castro's island this was in response to the destruction of a hundred thousand bibles in sugar mills in may 1979 his private plane crashed on a cuban highway due to extreme weather conditions brutal treatment from the secret police refrigerated cells months of solitary confinement and a 24-year prison sentence were to follow you know this is what castro does and this is why up until this administration our government has had no no friendly dealings with the cuban government because they don't play fair you know they won't uh, lighten up on their extremism against people who just speak out against an unfair government and so um, we know we we need to understand what these people are capable of and not kind of like go along with the crowd you know this oh yeah you know cuba we need to make friends why they're not making friends with us so you know yeah, we kind of need to stop that nonsense and, and just be real here. You know, uh, let God direct you in these things. But God is not moving us to try and win over people who hate us and, and uh, you know, have our anti-God people. We're to win them over with the gospel, not befriend them in their, in their wrong. During his imprisonment at Colombinado uh, del Este prison, Tom, fluent in Spanish, experienced firsthand the plight of the suffering church. After many prayers, letters, appeals from Mother Teresa, U.S. congressmen, and Christians around the world, he was released on October 27, 1980. So he spent a little over a year in, in the Cuban jail. An author, but he, he had been sentenced to 25 years just for dropping Bibles to people. An author of three books about risking faith in a hostile world, he lives in Oklahoma with his wife and two children. 
working with our international directors through a wet network of Voice of the Martyrs offices, Mr. White continues to reach out to communist and Muslim countries and other highly restricted areas. Voice of the Martyrs publishes a monthly newsletter giving updates on the persecuted body of Christ around the world. So he's the one who's written a book about the Vietnamese Christians. He's compiled all these testimonies. And I'm sure they come probably to his ear through his dealings with them, supplying Bibles and teaching and things like that to them, teaching them how to pray uh, when they are persecuted, how to, to stand fast in their uh, commitment to Christ. So this one is uh, called An Open Door in the Midst of Persecution. Uh, this one is an open door. The police began to secretly, secretly follow me to my school to investigate what I was doing. One Communist Party member in the school told a Christian teacher why, why they were there. Then this teacher told me. Two days later, two policemen came to my home and questioned my children. In Vietnam, people are not allowed to share their faith outside of the church building. Christians keep silent and try to find a way to serve the Lord. Sounds like some of the churches here. They do it voluntarily, you know. This. I mean, it's a spirit. You know, I mean, they carry it publicly, but it can affect people in the way that they live their lives. And many people go to church, dress up nice, come home, never think of sharing Christ with people. Probably because they don't know him. You know what I'm saying? They just have a confession. Because when you know the Lord, you have to share Christ with somebody. I was thinking about the little girl. Were you the little girl that walked out of the restaurant? It, that was just an outburst of she wanted to witness so bad, but scared. You could tell we've all been there. So she just told Jesus loved you and walked right on out the door. I said, well, Lord, help her to get stronger in it, you know. Amen. Praise God. In Vietnam, people are not allowed to share their faith outside of the church building. Christians keep silent and try to find a way to serve the Lord. They pray together and worship the Lord in homes. But sometimes the police still find out. The afternoon that the policeman came and asked for me, my 17-year-old son, uh, Do Hai Du, answered the door. He realized they were police because one man wore civilian clothes and the other one wore a police uniform. He told them I was not at home. They asked, do you have meetings in your home regularly? Do any preachers come to your home? My son answered, in my home we pray regularly. We go to church regularly to meet. Because my dad is a teacher, many other teachers come. When I returned home from work, I met the two policemen waiting for me in front of my house. I invited them to come in. They said, we know that you follow this uh, Ten Lan, meaning Protestant religion. Tell us what you know about the Ten Lan religion. I shared the gospel with them and gave a testimony of how the Lord dealt with my life. Whenever I openly mentioned uh, any name, they, whenever I openly mentioned any name, they very carefully questioned me in detail about that person. I naively mentioned people in the official church and also in the underground church. When it got dark, an hour later, they left. Although they said they would come back again, they did not return. I later learned that these policemen are, were Tien and, Tien and Van from the city's PA-16 security police office. The police station has many branches. Some are in charge of economics. Some are over politics. PA-16 is in charge of religion. Encounter with Christ. Before I came to know the Lord, I was a very negative person. 
Anyone in my family who wanted to get close to me could not. I was always mistrustful, even with my mother, whom I most loved. She considered me a prodigal son. Although I was born into a Buddhist family, I was not a Buddhist. After I graduated from the College of Mathematics in Hanoi, I became a teacher in Haiphong and have taught there for 24 years. My students are from 13 to 50 years old. I have also taught in secondary school and for the HO officers, the key propaganda officers in the Haiphong government. They are like the chairman overseeing the people in a community and are all members of the Communist Party. In my teaching, I wanted to be good to everyone, but my co-workers tried to find ways to step on others so they could be promoted. Everyone was seeking approval, and their reward came by taking advantage of each other. I was cheated and deceived in many ways. I felt like they were pointing arrows at me, and I tried to find a way to fight back. Seeking ways to please my own desire, I went to different bars to play in a band. I taught during the day and went to the bars at night. I drank a lot of alcohol and smoked a pack of cigarettes every day, but this didn't satisfy me. It just caused me more trouble. Then I started working in a social, cultural organization. They gave me an opportunity to investigate different religions. However, I find, found many hypo hypocrisies in religion. They speak about the good things in the pagoda, a Buddhist temple, but out in society they don't do what they say. In December 1989, I came to a Ten Lan church. I met with the pastor's wife, and she told me about the gospel. Every day, I would go to the library in the church and read more about the Lord. At first, my purpose was only to learn about different religions, but I received the love of God from the pastor's wife as she shared the gospel with me. At that time, the church didn't have any Bibles. Only the pastor's wife had a Bible, which she let me borrow for three days. I read as much as I could about the Lord and saw it was true. Then on February 2nd, 1990, I decided to receive the Lord into my heart. The Lord took away all my negative feelings. I began to love others and no longer felt anger toward other people. I gave all my worries to the Lord. I then shared the gospel with my wife, and she also received Jesus into her heart. We were baptized on September 12, 1990. Before I became a Christian, I despised my wife because she was not well educated about the world. She also rejected me and made fun of my low wages as a teacher. The Lord healed all of the offenses between us, and we no longer quarreled as we used to. Now when we have disagreements, we kneel down before the Lord and ask him to help us. I take better care of my wife, and she takes better care of me. The Lord not only healed my heart, but he also healed my whole body. I had a stomach sickness and a bad back. Although I was nearsighted in ninth grade, I can now read without glasses, and I no longer have pains in my stomach or my back. I also witnessed to my mother, and she came to believe in the Lord. Whenever we see each other now, we cry and pray together. I praise God for restoring the love between us, the cost of knowing Christ. There are only three official church buildings in Haiphong, which has a population of more than three million. In the official church, only the preacher, the one recognized by the government, can share and preach. Anyone who wishes to lead a meeting must be on the church committee, whose seven members are all appointed by the church leadership. Details of their personal life must be given to the police. Only if the police agree can a person be on the committee. 
When I shared with the Christians in Haiphong about the power of the Lord, they became very zealous in sharing the gospel with others. They became involved in different projects to build up the body of Christ. However, during a morning service in 1991, Pastor Bui Han Thu announced that some of us would be thrown out of the church building. Pastor Thu, president of the official church in the north, did not care about the Christian work. Almost every Sunday, his sermons were about the laws of the government. He has worked with the police for 30 years and has caused a lot of problems for house churches by reporting to the government the names of those who attend them. He also reported that we had connections with foreigners. All of us were called to the police office. They requested our addresses for the report and asked how we came to believe in the Lord. They commanded us not to worship the Lord at home. We are allowed to go to the official church, but we are not free to fellowship together. This past Christmas, I met with the PA-16 again. We held a church meeting in a home. More than 100 believers and visitors came, overflowing from inside the house to outside in the yard. Three police collect came and stood in the yard, then sat and listened. Although they wore civilian clothes, everyone knew they were the police. I shared the message of Christmas about the birth of Jesus. Five people came to the Lord. I told the police Christmas is a day for the whole world to celebrate. It doesn't belong to any specific person or nation. We have a right to celebrate and we do not cause problems. We did not celebrate over the time allowed by village policy. After everyone left, the police told me they would meet me later. Excuse me. The policeman took Brother Viet, the owner of the home, to another place to talk to him. Why do you organize meetings like this but do not report them, they asked. Fortunately, the police didn't question anyone else, but I have been called to the police office for questioning on other occasions. Our church has 100 members, but we cannot apply to have an official church. We meet weekly in small groups in different homes because we do not have room to hold a large group meeting. I host the place where we meet. My wife and I use both the traditional hymn book and the new chorus books in the house church for praise and worship. Communist Party members from Haiphong have become Christians in our church. When Christians want to establish a new church, the police reply that the government has laws. They work with the higher church leadership in Hanoi to give permission. If a group of believers wants to build a church, the police say they must fill out an application and sign it. Then the government can give permission to build a church. But in reality, it's not so. Once we were given permission to have meetings where the preacher comes and teaches, the police still took us to the police station and wrote up reports telling us that we cannot hold meetings. One time the police fined us one million dong, but we didn't have it. So they lowered the price to 50,000. My monthly salary for teaching is 350,000 dong, which is equal to 35 U.S. dollars. The police say if we don't give them the money, they will put us in prison. Another time, the police came and fined us 50,000 dong. All the Christians donate to help pay the fine. One woman named An went to a house meeting in Haiduang, a village 60 kilometers from Haiphong. When the police came, they arrested An and interrogated her at the district police station. They kept her all day and fined her 50,000 dong. A sister in Christ who did not attend the meetings learned of the fine and called other believers in Haiphong to ask for the money. 
walking with the Lord. Sunday meetings, mornings, we meet with other believers to worship the Lord and pray. Sunday afternoons, we have a meeting in my home. Monday and Tuesday afternoons, we go out sharing the gospel and following up with new converts. Now, this is interesting that that <laughs> they're constantly sharing the gospel. You see, there's there's kind of like a... Um, a reaction to persecution, that there's a stronger opposite reaction. You know, it's really a law of motion. You know, for every action, there's an equal, equal and opposite reaction. And so that's true of the realm of the spirit, too. But it, it, see, these people are busy working for God every day. And, you know, I don't know what it's going to take for us. You know, we're we're kind of asking God for some stuff that is going to take more commitment on our part really to get, to be honest with you. Because if you look at the power of the early church and all the outpourings of the Holy Spirit since then, it's been a daily seeking the Lord, a daily worshiping, a daily gathering together. It's all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think people have to have expectation in their hearts for a commitment at that level. You know what I'm saying? It might mean some people are going to have to retire early. It might mean some people, you know, going to have to put some golf trips on hold. That's all we were going to do when we retire. But I just believe that the church is going to have to face facts that it takes more than just an occasional drop in. The devil loves that. He loves it when we're satisfied and we think we're doing a whole lot when we go to church two days a week and it stresses us out, we can't get there on time, we can't do it, you know, all that kind of stuff. He likes that nonsense because he, he knows it's a distraction for us to get the level of commitment that it would take to turn your, your city upside down, to turn your nation around, to turn people back to the Lord. There has to come an extreme and intense desire to share the word of God and share the gospel with, with others. But he's saying here, Sunday they meet with believers Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Monday and Tuesday to go out sharing the gospel and follow up with new converts. Non-Christian friends usually invite us to come to their homes, and on many occasions we share the gospel with them. So these people are curious, and they want to know if they see this kind of commitment out of people and this kind of force and power of God to change lives. And these people are changed. These are not just pew sitters. These are converts. These are changed people who are going out just doing what the Holy Spirit tells them to do. He says, if we have new believers, we teach them how to pray and worship the Lord. Tuesday nights, my whole family, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, study the Bible book by book in my home. Wednesday nights, we go to church to pray. Thursday nights, we have a meeting where we share the gospel. Saturdays, we fast and pray all day in Brother Viet's house. So they're in order to keep on top of things, when you're persecuted, the worst thing you can do is back down. You've got to bounce back and intensify what you do in order to make headway. And you can see that's what these people are doing. Now, I'm not saying just go get somewhere every day just for the sake of getting there. But have anticipation, expectation in your heart for God to require more, expect more. He'll make room for you to do these things. It won't be a chore to you. 
you know, people say, well, what am I going to do about this? That's already taken care of. All God wants is people who are willing to be used. This is what martyrdom really is, living every day for Christ and not for self. I read the Bible every morning from 4 to 5 o'clock. A Bible verse God has used in my life to give me strength is Isaiah 58:11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters not fail. Every month I go to churches in faraway places. Sometimes I borrow a motorbike or bicycle and pedal 40 kilometers. The roads are very rough with many chicken and elephant holes. A chicken hole is a small and an elephant hole is big. In the rainy season, they are full of water. I wrap my Bible in plastic and take my sermons with me. I share the gospel in different villages and rejoice in seeing new believers get baptized. We use whatever money we have to make photocopies of tracts and encourage people to read them. After they read a tract, they return it and receive a new one. A Christian friend who works in a photocopy shop copies the tracts for us carefully and quietly. In North Vietnam, it can get very cold. Many times when we travel to other villages in the northern areas, we must use a boat. If we cross the river when the temperature is below freezing, I, can get, I get very numb. It's difficult for me to hear and my lips become numb. But when I return home where it is warmer, my body warms up and I feel much better. So it doesn't bother how we live. Every day my wife has to go to the market four kilometers away to sell vegetables. Our home is near the country, so people from the country sell vegetables, lettuce, and different herbs. To my wife, she, she sells the vegetables to others. She puts them on the back of a bicycle in a bamboo basket. We place a piece of wood under the basket to keep it balanced on the bicycle. Then we can carry a lot of vegetables in it, tying the basket with a large rubber band. Every day we make a profit of 15000 to 20000 dong, about $2. U.S. Our son is 17 and in the 11th grade. I teach every day, and my wage is just enough to pay for our son's education and his daily meal at school. Our daughter is five years old. Our mother takes care of her during the day. We have a piece of land that is 300 square meters and a one-room brick house with a flower garden in the front yard. Our house has electricity, and our water comes in from a well in the yard. I pump the water by hand in a metal bucket morning and evening. We use about 20 buckets a day. My wife cooks outside in the open with coal, and we buy from men who bring it to our, ho- our home. I am very grateful to the Lord for how he brings, ch- he brings change and love into my life. I want to share with everyone how soon after I believed in the Lord, I experienced his love and care through many people. I desire in the coming months to quit my job so that I can be involved full-time in the work of the Lord. Truly, I am very content and satisfied. Whatever I do, I will do it for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. (laughs) Yeah. I think after being doped up for so many, such a long time on just prosperity and you know what I'm saying, you have to get to the heart of where people live. 
every day with Jesus. And it's very, so very important that we learn from the body of Christ, not just the ones that we see are invisible in our culture, but there is a body of Christ worldwide that we have to get acquainted with them. And so this is one way that we can get acquainted uh, with the rest of the Lord's body. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to read, I think I'll read read a little bit from um, Tortured for Christ because I think you need to understand how this organization uh, came into being and uh, let me see. Okay, this is uh, from Richard Wormbrand. Um, he lived to be 91 years old, so God blessed his latter days. You know, he had peace and he had uh, release from torture and release from persecution, and he found his true calling was to go ahead and found an organization that would help people who are are in the same position and who will be in the same position he's in. Uh, okay, this is his, his uh, story. Uh, An atheist finds Christ. I was orphaned from, from the first years of life. Being brought up in a family in which no religion was recognized, I received no religious education as a child. As a result of a bitter childhood, which included knowing poverty in the difficult years after World War I, at age 14, I was as convinced an atheist as a communist were today. I had read atheistic books, and it was not just that I had, did not believe in God or Christ. I hated these notions, considering them harmful for the human mind, so I grew up in bitterness toward religion. But as I understood afterwards, I had the grace to be one of the chosen of God for reasons that I don't understand. These reasons had nothing to do with my character because my character was very bad. Although I was an atheist, something unreasonable always attracted me to churches. I found it difficult to pass a church without entering it. However, I never understood what was happening in these churches. I listened to the sermons, but they didn't appeal to my heart. I had an image of God as a master whom I should have to obey. I hated this wrong image of God that I had in my mind, but I would have liked very much to know that a loving heart existed somewhere in the center of the universe. Since I had known few of the joys of childhood and youth, I longed that there should be a loving heart beating for me too. I convinced myself there was no God, but I was sad that such a God of love did not exist. Once in my inner spiritual conflict, I entered a Catholic church. I saw people kneeling and saying something. I thought I will kneel near to them so I can hear what they say and repeat the prayers to see if something happens. Then they said a prayer to the Holy Virgin, Hail Mary, full of grace. I repeated the words after them again and again. I looked at the statue of the Virgin Mary, but nothing happened. I was very sad about it. One day, being a very convinced atheist, I prayed to God. My prayer was something like this, God, I know surely that you do not exist, but if perchance you do exist, which I contest, it is not my duty to believe in you. It is your duty to reveal yourself to me. I was an atheist, but atheism did not give peace to my heart. During this time of inner turmoil, an old carpenter in a village high up in the mountains of Romania prayed like this. My God, I have served you on earth, and I wish to have my reward on earth as well as in heaven. And my reward should be that I should not die before I bring a Jew to Christ, because Jesus was from the Jewish people. But I am poor, old, and sick. 
I cannot go around and seek a Jew. In my village there are none, but bring a Jew into my village and I will do my best to bring him to Christ. Something irresistible drew me to that village. I had no reason to go there. Romania has 12,000 villages, but I went to that one. Seeing I was a Jew, the carpenter courted me as never, as never a beautiful girl had been courted. He saw in me the answer to his prayer and gave me a Bible to read. I had read the Bible out of cultural interest many times before, but the Bible he gave me was another kind of Bible. As he told me sometime later, he and his wife prayed together for hours for my conversion and that of my wife. The Bible he gave me was written not so much in words, but in the flames of love fired by his prayers. I could barely read it. I could only weep over it. Comparing my bad life with the life of Jesus, my impurity with his righteousness, my hatred with his love, and he accepted me as one of his own. Soon thereafter, my wife was converted. She brought other souls to Christ. Those other souls brought still more souls to Christ, and so a new Lutheran congregation arose in Romania. Then came the Nazis, under whom we suffered much. In Romania, Nazism took the form of a dictatorship of extreme orthodox elements that persecuted Protestant groups as well as the Jews. Even before my formal ordination and before I was prepared for the ministry, I was the leader of this church, being the founder of it. I was responsible for it. My wife and I were arrested several times, beaten, and hauled before Nazi judges. The Nazi terror was great, but only a taste of what was to come under the communists. My son, uh, Mihai, had to assume a non-Jewish name to prevent his death. But these Nazi times had one great advantage. They taught us that physical beatings could be endured and that the human spirit, with God's help, can survive horrible tortures. They taught us the technique of secret Christian work, which was a preparation for a far worse ordeal to come, an ordeal that was just before us, my ministry to the Russians. Out of remorse for having been an atheist, I longed for the day of my conversion to be able to witness to the Russians. The Russians are a people raised from childhood in atheism. My desire to reach Russians has been fulfilled, and I did not have to go to Russia to reach them. Its fulfillment began in Nazi times because we had in Romania many thousands of Russian war prisoners among whom we could do Christian work. It was a dramatic, moving work. I will never forget my first encounter with a Russian prisoner and engineer. I asked him if he believed in God. He said no. I would not have minded it much. It was the choice of every man to believe or disbelieve. But when I asked him this, he lifted up his eyes toward me without understanding and said, I have no such military order to believe. If I have an order, I will believe. Tears ran down my cheeks. I felt my heart torn in pieces. Here stood before me a man whose mind was dead, a man who had lost a great gift God had given to mankind, his individuality. He was a brainwashed tool in the hands of the communists, ready to believe or not on an order. He could not think anymore on his own. This was a typical Russian after all these years of communist domination. After the shock of seeing what communism had done to human beings, I promised God that I would dedicate my life to these men to give them back their personalities and to give them faith in God and Christ. Beginning August 23, 1944, one million Russian troops entered Romania, 
Very soon after this, the communists came to power in our country. Then began the nightmare that made suffering under, under the Nazis seem easy. At that time in Romania, which now has a population of about 24 million, the Communist Party had only 10,000 members. But Vyshinsky, the foreign secretary of the Soviet Union, stormed into the office of our much-beloved King Michael I, pounding his fist on the table and said, you must appoint communists to the government. Our army and police were disarmed, and so by violence and hated by, violence and hated by most all the communists came to power. It was not without the cooperation of the American and British rulers of that time. Men are responsible before God not only for their personal sins, but also for their national sins. The tragedy of all the captive nations is a responsibility on the hearts of American and British Christians. Americans must know that they have at times unwittingly assisted the Russians in imposing upon us a regime of murder and terror. As part of the body of Christ, Americans must atone for this by helping the captive peoples come to the light of Christ, the seduction of the church. Once the communists came to power, they skillfully used the means of seduction toward the church. The language of love and the language of seduction are the same. You got that? <laughs> the one who wishes a girl for a wife and the one who wishes her for only a night both say the words I love you Jesus has told us to discern between the language of seduction and the language of love and to know the wolves clad in sheepskin from the real sheep unfortunately when the communists came to power thousands of priests pastors and ministers did not know how to discern between the two voices the communists convened a congress of all Christian bodies in our parliament building. There were 4,000 priests, pastors, and ministers of all denominations, and these men of God chose Joseph Stalin as honorary president of that congress. At the same time, he was president of the world movement of the godless and a mass murderer of Christians. After one another, one after another, bishops and pastors arose and declared that communism and Christianity are fundamentally the same and could coexist. One minister after another said words of praise toward communism and assured the new government of the loyalty of the church. My wife and I were present at this conference. Sabina told me, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. I said to her, if I do so, you lose your husband. She replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. Then I arose and spoke to this Congress, praising not the murderers of Christians, but Jesus Christ, stating that our loyalty is due first to him. The speeches at this Congress were broadcast and the whole country heard, proclaimed from the rostrum of the Communist Parliament the message of Christ. Afterward, I had to pay for this, but it was worthwhile. Orthodox and Protestant church leaders competed with each other in yielding to communism. An Orthodox bishop put the hammer and sickle on his robes and asked his priests to no longer call him your grace, but to call him comrade bishop. Priests like uh, Patrius Shiu and Rosinel were more direct. They became officers of the secret police. Rapp, deputy, deputy bishop of the Lutheran Church in Romania, began to teach in the theological seminary that God had given three revelations, one through Moses, one through Jesus, and the third through Stalin, the last superseding the one before. I attended Congress of the Baptists in the town of Restia. 
a Congress under the red flag where the anthem of the Soviet Union had been sung with everyone standing. The president of the Baptist praised Stalin as a great teacher of the Bible and proclaimed that Stalin did nothing but fulfill the commandments of God. It must be understood that true Baptists, whom I love very much, did not agree and were very faithful to Christ, suffering much. However, the communists elected their leaders and the Baptists had no choice but to accept them. The same condition exists today in communist nations among the very top religious leadership of the official church. Those who became servants of communism instead of Christ began to denounce the brethren who did not join them. Just as Christians in Russia created an underground church after their revolution, the coming to power of communism and the betrayal by many official church leaders compelled us to likewise create a Romania an underground church, one faithful to evangelize, preach the gospel, and reach children for Christ. The communists forbade all this, and the official church complied. Together with others, I began an underground work. Outwardly, I had a very respectable position, pastor of the Norwegian Lutheran Michigan Mission, which served as a cover for my real underground work. At the same time, I represented the World Council of Churches in Romania. In Romania, we had not the slightest idea that this organization would never cooperate with the communists. At that time, in our country, it did nothing but relief work. These two titles gave me a very good standing before the authorities who did not know of my underground work. There were two aspects of this underground work. The first was our secret ministry among Russian soldiers. The second aspect was our underground work with the enslaved people of Romania, Russians, a people with such, a thirst, with such thirsty souls. For me to preach the gospel to the Russians is heaven on earth. I have preached the gospel to, many, to men of many nations, but I have never seen a people drink in the gospel like the Russians. They have such thirsty souls. An Orthodox priest, a friend of mine, telephoned me and told me that a Russian officer had come to him to confess. My friend did not know Russian. However, knowing that I speak Russian, he had given him my address. The next day, this man came to see me. He longed for God, but he had never seen a Bible. He had no religious education, never attended religious services. Churches in Russia then were very scarce. He loved God without the slightest knowledge of him. I read to him the Sermon on the Mount and the parable of Jesus. After hearing them, he danced around the room in rapturous joy, proclaiming, What a wonderful beauty! How could I live without knowing this Christ? It was the first time that I saw somebody so joyful in Christ. Then I made a mistake. I read to him the passion and crucifixion of Christ without having prepared him for this. He had not expected it, and when he heard how Christ was beaten, how he was crucified, and that in the end he died, he fell into an armchair and began to weep bitterly. He had believed in a Savior, and now his Savior was dead. I looked at him and was ashamed. I had called myself a Christian, a pastor, and a teacher of others, but I had never shared the sufferings of Christ as this Russian officer now now shared them. Looking at him, it was like seeing Mary Magdalene weeping at the foot of the cross, fully weeping when Jesus was a corpse in the tomb. Then I read to him the story of the resurrection and watched his expression change. He had not known that his Savior arose from the tomb. When he heard this wonderful news, he beat his knees and swore, using very dirty but very holy profanity. 
This was his crude manner of speech. Again, he rejoiced, shouting for joy. He is alive. He is alive. He danced around the room once more, overwhelmed with happiness. I said to him, let us pray. He did not know how to pray. He did not know our holy phrases. He fell on his knees together with me, and his words of prayer were, Oh God, what a fine chap you are. If, you, if, if, if I were you and you were me, I would never have forgiven you of your sins. But you are really a nice chap. I love you with all my heart. <laughs> I think that all the angels in heaven stopped what they were doing to listen to this sublime prayer from the Russian officer. This man had been one for Christ. In a shop, I met a Russian captain with a lady officer. They were buying all kinds of things and had difficulty speaking to the salesman who did not understand Russian. I offered to translate for them and we became acquainted. I invited them to lunch at our house. Before beginning to eat, I told them, you are in a Christian house and we have the habit of praying. I said the prayer in Russian. They put down their forks and knives and were no longer interested in food. Instead, they asked question after question about God, Christ, and the Bible. They knew nothing. It was not easy to talk to them. I told them the parable of the man who had a hundred sheep and lost one. They did not understand it as they were brainwashed with a communist ideology. They asked, how is it that he has a hundred sheep? Has not the communist collective farm taken them away? Then I asked Then I said that Jesus is a king. They answered, all the kings have been bad men who have controlled people, so Jesus must also be a dictator. When I told them the parable of the workers in the vineyard, they said, well, these did very well to rebel against the owner of the vineyard. The vineyard has to belong to the collective. Everything was new for them. When I told them about the birth of Jesus, they asked what would seem blasphemous to a Westerner. Was Mary the wife of God? In talking with them and many others, I learned that to preach the gospel to the Russians after so many years of communism, we have to use an entirely new approach. The truth applies in many different cultures. The missionaries who went to Central Africa had difficulty translating the words of Isaiah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. No one in Central Africa has ever seen snow, so they had no word for it. The missionaries had to translate, your sins will become white as the kernel of the coconut. So we had to translate the gospel into Marxist language, quote unquote, in order for them to identify with it. It was something we could not do by ourselves, but the Holy Spirit did his work through us. The captain and the lady officers were converted on that day. Later, they helped us much in our underground ministry to the Russians. We secretly printed and distributed among Russians many thousands of Gospels and other Christian literature. Through the converted Russian soldiers, we smuggled Bibles and Bible portions into Russia. We also used another technique to get copies of God's Word into the hands of Russians. The Russian soldiers had been fighting for several years, and many of them had children back home who they had not seen all this time. The Russians have a great fondness for children. My son, Mihai, and other children under 10 years of age would go to the Russian soldiers on the streets and in the parks carrying Bibles, Gospels, and other literature in their pockets. The Russian soldiers would pat them on the head, talk to them lovingly, thinking of their own children whom they had not seen in years. The soldiers would give them chocolate or candy, and the children in turn would give the soldiers something, Bibles and Gospels, which they eagerly accepted. 
Often what was too dangerous for us to do openly, our children did in complete safety. They were young missionaries to the Russians. The results were excellent. Many Russian soldiers received the gospel this way when there was no other way to give it to them. Preaching in Russian army barracks. We worked among the Russians not only by individual witnessing. We were able to work in small group meetings as well. The Russians were very fond of watches. They stole watches from everyone. They would stop people on the street and demand that they hand them over. We would see Russians with several watches on each arm, Russian women officers with alarm clocks hanging around their necks. They had, not, they had never had watches before and could not get enough of them. Romanians who wished to have a watch had to go to the barracks of the Soviet army to buy a stolen one, often buying back their own watch. So it was common for Romanians to enter the Russian barracks. The underground church also used that pretext of purchasing watches from them to give us entrance into their barracks. The first time I preached in a Russian barrack was on the day of St. Paul and St. Peter, an Orthodox feast. I went into the military base pretending to buy a watch. I pretended that one was too expensive, another was too small, another too big. Several soldiers crowded around me, each offering me something to buy. Jokingly, I asked them, are any of you named Paul or Peter? Some were. Then I said, do you know that today is the day when your Orthodox Church honors St. Peter and St. Paul? Some of the older Russians knew it. So I asked, do you know who Paul and Peter were? No one knew. So I began to tell them about Paul and Peter. One of the older Russian soldiers interrupted me and said, you have not come to buy watches. You have come to tell us about the faith. Sit down here with us and speak to us. But be very careful. We know about whom to beware. These around me are all good men, but when I put my hand on your knee, you must talk only about watches. When I remove my hand, you may begin the, your message again. Quite a crowd of men was gathered around me, and I told them about Paul and Peter, about the Christ for whom Paul and Peter died. From time to time, someone would approach in whom they had no confidence. The soldier would put his hand on my knee, and I would talk about watches. When that man went away, I resumed preaching about Christ. This visit was repeated numerous times with the help of Russian Christian soldiers. Many of their comrades found Christ and thousands of gospels were given out secretly. The number of our brothers and sisters in the underground church were caught and heavily beaten. A number of them were caught and heavily beaten for this, but they didn't betray our organization. During this work, we had the joy of meeting brethren from the underground church in Russia and hearing about their experiences. First of all, we saw them make them in the makings of great we saw in them the makings of great saints they had passed through so many years of communist indoctrination but just as a fish lives in the salty waters and keeps its meat sweet they passed through the communist schools and universities but it kept their souls clean and pure in christ the russian christians had such a had such beautiful souls they said we know that the star with the hammer and sickle which we wear on our caps is the star of the Antichrist. They said this with great sorrow. They helped us greatly to spread the gospel among the Russian soldiers. I can say that they had all the Christian virtues except the virtue of joy. This they had only at conversion, then it disappears. I thought about this a lot. 
Once I asked the Baptist, how is it that you have no joy? He answered, how can I be joyful when I have to hide from the pastor of my church that I am an earnest Christian, that I lead a life of prayer, that I win souls, that I try to win souls? The pastor of the church is an informer for the secret police. We are spied on one after another, and the shepherds are those who betray the flock. There exists a very deep in our heart the joy of salvation, but this external gladness that you have, we do not have it anymore. Christianity has become dramatic with us. When Christians or free countries want a soul for Christ, the new believer may become a member of a quietly living church. But when those in captive nations win someone, we know that he may have to go to a prison and that his children may become orphans. The joy of having brought someone to Christ is always mixed with this feeling that there is a price that must be paid. We have met an entirely new type of Christian, the Christian of the underground church. Here we have many surprises. So I'm going to stop there and we're going to pray for for the um, underground church. And I did uh, copy the prayer that they have on the website for Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, And these needs are short. Their prayer requests are are very short. But we're going to pray earnestly. And and, um, my prayer is that we all be changed. I can see my attitude is is sobering a lot. I'm encouraged, though, because to be honest with you, um, what I see from our churches many times is just not. I mean, when you compare it with these people that. Not their poverty so much, but their sincerity about serving God and how they are so zealous to see others one to Christ. And and I know many times when we're new Christians, we want to see everybody one to the Lord. But then after a season, you know, it kind of wanes or you drift back into normal life, I think, a little too much. And so I think it's good to, to understand what the body of Christ worldwide is doing because we share in their life. See, this is our way. This is their gift to us, is the gift of of understanding, uh, sincerity, getting back to the basics of the Christian faith, to the roots of our believing. Not that faith is not important, but faith for what? You're going to use your faith for souls. You're going to use your faith to uh, alleviate human suffering, advance the kingdom. You're going to use it for you and things, or what are you going to use your faith for? Not that you can't use it for both, but I think souls are much more important than personal comfort. And God will always give you that if you serve him anyway. So it's good to focus on what's, what's on God's heart and find out how to target where his heart is so we can be in accord, one accord with God at all times and, and really sharing uh, the gospel the way he wants us to. So why don't you pray in the spirit? I'm going to pray in the English and we'll pray our persecution prayer. We'll thank God for... <clears throat> giving us the gift of of these uh, testimonies that have come to us in such a, a unique way, in such a personal way, that they impact each and every life here uh, with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God in heaven, we thank you. Thank you that you know all things. Thank you that you have given us a voice to share your gospel. But we also thank you for the voice of the martyrs. Thank you that we can identify in their witness because... When you witness Christ, you do suffer a death, Father, that you have to die to people's ideas and die to people's um, uh, opinions about what you're doing, to their persecution and, and their ridicule and all of those things. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that we can die to those things that will hinder uh, your voice in the earth. 
So, Lord, we pray for protection of your people worldwide. We thank you, Lord. We submit to you. Resist the devil and he must flee. We command you, Satan, to flee from us seven ways and from God's people seven ways worldwide. Vengeance belongs to you, O God. We resist retaliation against our accusers. We are serving you. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold, they're threatening, O God. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. We declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, we ask you to judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our integrity that's in us. Let the mischief of those who persecute us return to his own head. Keep us as the apple of the eye. Hide us under the shadow of thy wings. Thank you for teaching our hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms. Thank you for giving us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies against us. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. It is time for you to work, Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know it's nothing for you to help. Help us, O Lord our God. Save us according to your mercy. Let our hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. We pray for the voice of the martyrs. We pray for safety for those who are targeted by radical Hindus. We pray for those who are threatened by Islamic militants in Senegal. We pray for Zambia, for evangelists working with the Muslim people, for protection for them. We praise you for Christians uh, in the former Soviet Union and Central Europe. We thank you, Lord, that those Christians have made, remained strong and faithful, praying regularly for persecuted churches around the world. We pray for workers mentoring new believers in Uganda. We pray for Evelyn wounded by being kidnapped by Boko Haram in Nigeria. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, healing her in Jesus' name. We pray for a Christian whose home was damaged in a bombing in Yemen. And we thank you for believers in Yemen. We pray for Christians living under constant threat of Islamic attack in Mali. We pray for Kunder and his daughter attacked by Hindu radicals in India. We pray for Iranian Christians sharing Christ in Iran. We pray for Caesar and Laura threatened for sharing the gospel in Mexico. We pray for two brothers recovering from Boko Haram attack in Nigeria. We pray for churches threatened by Islamic extremists in Turkey. And we pray for Pastor Hemram and others receiving death threats in Bangladesh. And we pray for the family of Yasser Nader who was shot to death in Yemen in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that you know the needs of these people. You know them by name. You know them by situation. We thank you, Lord, for coming to the rescue and aid of these people. Send them angelic protection. Send them natural protection. Send them people in the government who will protect them. Send them Christians, reveal Christians to them that they thought were maybe the enemy. But deep down in their heart, they're believers and they can trust them. Father, we ask you to pull the, the covers off the enemy so he does not work in secret. But we bind terrorism in the name of Jesus. 
We say it will not prosper and flourish in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that he who lives in us is greater than he who lives in them. And we thank you that the greater one will prevail, that righteousness will prevail, love will prevail, deliverance and freedom will prevail. Everything that your gospel preaches will prevail. And we thank you, Lord, for the prevailing power of your your gospel and your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. It's good to end on prayer and it's good to pray, begin on prayer. It's a nice thing to know uh, that God wants us to pray and uh, bring these needs for us. That's why we always have an altar call. <clears throat> it's just good to end on receiving at the throne room of grace. Um, I'm going to pray about this. Um, uh, what is it? What does Mr. Gary have? Strep throat. Yeah. Uh, take authority over that. I want everybody to get their uh, prayer cloth from uh, from um, uh, your your. Assembly Wanna has some in Detroit. We have some in Cleveland. Uh, so make sure you keep a prayer cloth on you at all times. I know I was wearing mine, and I walk across the floor and see it dropped on the floor somewhere or something like that. I said, oh, let me pick up a prayer cloth and keep it on. But we need to stay under the uh, authority of God and the power of his anointing. So um, I'll pray and release that uh, to you, protection against that, so that you can. It's a spiritual wickedness. You know, it's just the enemy sending whatever he can throw. He'll throw illness. He'll throw symptoms. He'll throw colds and flu and whatever he can but we can repel him with our faith in God's word so that we can can uh, go free of all of these things and uh, if anybody else needs prayer after that I'll pray for them and Satan we take authority over you in the name of Jesus we bind your spiritual wickedness and we thank you Lord for um, for protection for everybody from this flu I thank you Lord Ms. Juana I thank you, Lord, for protection against this flu in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We put a hedge of protection around every soul here against this flu in the name of Jesus. We say it won't come nigh them. It won't touch them. We thank you, Lord, that everybody has divine protection against this flu, the onslaught of it. I thank you, Lord, that we have immunity against disease. None of these diseases that you put on the Egyptians are for us or your people. Lord, you take all of our sicknesses away. By your stripes we are healed. We are redeemed from the curse of sickness. We thank you that the penalty for sickness has already been paid. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that his blood prevails over all symptoms, all sickness. We curse this um, uh, flu. We curse strep throat. We curse all disease and illness in the name of Jesus. Father, we are not carriers of anything except the love of God and the healing virtue of the Lord Jesus Christ. We carry virtue and power with us everywhere that we go. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us that we are not contagious in anything from darkness, but we are contagious in the love of God. And we thank you, we bless you, Lord, that we have immunity against all disease. And we thank you for it, Lord. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Praise God. If anybody else needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Uh, can you put on a little worship music over there, little Howard? 
right after this, I'm going to meet with hospitality. We need to go over our menus. It'll probably take 10 or 15 minutes if we go real fast. we got to crack up and get out of here in an hour, okay? Praise God. Go ahead. Anybody else need prayer? Come on up now.